few days ago, we had a freeze warning, even though it was fairly late and there was concern about especially certain vegetables and the fruit trees and the damage that could be done. And we certainly hope that in retrospect that no uh, real damage was done by the brief period of uh, freezing temperatures because we all enjoy fruit that comes from those fruit trees and we don't want to see them damaged. Fruit trees should bear fruit. But in Scripture, there's one occasion where there was a tree upon which the Lord looked from afar that gave every indication that it had fruit on it. And yet, it had none. And that is the barren fig tree. Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 14. We will read together Mark's account of this incident from which there is so much to be learned, as was always the case with our Lord's teaching that has application to us today. Even though it had some immediate application to those of the Lord's day, especially to the nation of Israel. But in our text from Mark 11, 12 through 14, Now the next day, when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree, or from afar a fig tree, having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves for it was not the season of figs. In response to it, Jesus said to it, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. Mark here records for us a human characteristic of Jesus. He was hungry. He was hungry. Hunger was a part of his Humiliation, that is, his willingness to humble himself, his willingness to give up equality with God, and to come to this earth and live as a human being as well as deity, but as a part of that humanity, Jesus hungered. Though he was the bread of life, he hungered. Though he was the water of life, the living water, he thirsted. Why? So that he could become the only possible, perfect sacrifice for your sins and for mine. Seeing this fig tree from afar having leaves, he came to see if he would find something on it. Why would he expect to find something on it? Fig trees were plentiful in this area, and having leaves on it was an indication that there might be fruit also on it. Because these fig trees bore leaves before, or bore fruit before they bore leaves. And so if the fig tree had leaves, that would indicate, based upon the natural order of things, that the fruit was already there because the leaves could be seen from afar. 
But when he got there, he found no fruit. He found nothing but leaves. Destitute of fruit was this tree. And as Jesus came near to it and saw it, there stood before him the striking but the awful, awful image of the Jewish nation. A nation that indeed had shown leaves. That is, they had professed to be righteous. They had professed to be followers of God, but they were yielding no fruit. And it was not the season for figs. That is, it was not the time for the full ripe age of figs is the indication. Not the season for harvesting them. Not the, not the ordinary time for full ripe figs. On this one point, the late J.W. McGarvey has said, On this kind of tree, the fruit forms before the leaves and should be full grown before the leaves appear. So this tree, by putting on its foliage before the time for figs, was proclaiming itself superior to all other fig trees. Thus, this made it a striking example of the hypocrite, who not content with appearing to be as good as other people, usually puts on the appearance of being a great deal better. And so... We will see then, as we have read already, and we'll look at it further, that because of that profession and yet no perfection, no fruit that had been brought to fruition or perfection, Jesus cursed this fig tree and said, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. This morning, I want us to look at three particular things that are presented here. First of all, what is it that Jesus sought as he came to this tree, and what is it that he seeks even today? Secondly, what Jesus found and what he finds now. And finally, what Jesus did and what he will do. And there are some very pertinent and sobering lessons for us to learn from these three areas of study. First of all, what Jesus sought and seeks. When he came to the fig tree, he sought fruit. He had a right to expect it because the tree was displaying leaves. It was giving the sign of some fruit. But what did he seek from the Jewish nation? From the Jewish nation, he also sought fruit. And he had a right to expect that fruit when he came as the Messiah, as the anointed one, as the one who was prophesied time and time again, and who time and time again fulfilled those prophecies. The Jewish nation as a whole should have recognized him, having been familiar with the Old Testament writings. They should have known him to have been exactly who the Scriptures prophesied would come to them. That is the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
He had a right to expect that kind of reception because God had made Israel a special people unto himself. And he had treated them, as the Old Testament points out, time and time again with favor. His providence, his mercy, his love, his care had been demonstrated to them time and time again. And yet ultimately, they rejected him. Deuteronomy 7 and verse 6 reminds us, For you, he says to his people, are a holy people to the Lord your God, Moses writes. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the people's on the face of the earth. And then the scripture goes on, The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand, and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Time and time again we find that reference in scripture to God as the God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, who brought them out of bondage, who led them through the wilderness, who would have taken them into the land of promise far sooner than they ultimately entered it, but that first generation was faithless and fell in the wilderness, and only that second generation, after 40 years of wandering because of their rebellion, was taken in. And yet God, despite all of the punishment that He brought upon them because of their rebellion, never forgot his promise, and through that seed, through Israel, he brought to them the Christ. And when the Christ came, he had a right to expect a reception far different from the one he, for the most part, received. But what about of Christians today? What does Jesus Jesus seek today? Fruit? Absolutely. John 15, 8 reminds us in the words of Jesus himself, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As we think about those words in relation to what Jesus did, what he sought from this Jewish nation, what he should have received from the fruit tree that was giving evidence that it bore fruit, we are reminded that as his followers, we must not be nothing but leaves. We must do more than give the appearance of allegiance to the Christ. It must be abundantly evident by the lives that we live. And as we consider this, we appreciate or should appreciate the fact that the branch in Christ, as John 15 reminds us, has all that is necessary to be fruitful in his service. When you look at that text in John 15, which begins, I am the true vine, my father is the vine Dresser, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. There's a statement that says, we have what we need to become fruitful in him. He prunes us. He enables us to bear even more fruit. Then down at verse 
5, I am the vine, you are the branches, he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. We have everything that we need to be fruitful in his service. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Paul reminds us in Philippians 4 and verse 13. And so when we see a Christian, we expect to see fruit. And just as our Lord was hungry as he spotted that fig tree from afar, our Lord today hungers for fruit in his followers. That's what he wants to see. That's what he expects. He is hungry for fruit in those who follow him. Paul reminds us of that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We're different when we become children of God. Everything has changed. And that change is evident to all those around us by the fruit that they see us bear. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 through, 22 through 24. Paul, writing to those Gentile Christians, admonishes that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in righteousness and true Holiness. Philippians 2, 5, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. We've had a change of mind. We've had a change of action. We've had a change of conduct. We follow a new standard, a new leader. 1 Peter 2, 21. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. The context of 1 Peter 2.21 is a context in which those to whom Peter wrote were about to suffer, were involved in suffering persecution. But what did he say? For to this you were called. Don't be surprised because you need to be, a, a re, a, be prepared to suffer, be ready to suffer. Why? Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. When we see a Christian, we see someone who's following in the steps of Jesus. We see someone who's willing to suffer. We see someone who can and will suffer, and yet not falter in his or her faith. That's what Jesus sought, and that's what he seeks. But what about what Jesus found? And what he finds. In the fig tree, in the fig tree, he found nothing but leaves. Nothing but leaves. There should have been fruit. That's what happens with those fig trees that were native to that area. The fruit is there before the leaves. But what about in the Jewish nation? Tragically there, in a far more serious way, spiritually, he found nothing but leaves. When you turn to Matthew chapter 23, you see that fact very, very graphically and repeatedly 
demonstrated. Because in Matthew 23, there is woe after woe after woe. Beginning at verse 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anus and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. And then again, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Can we not see how this barren fig tree demonstrated so perfectly the condition of the Jewish nation as the Lord found them? For the most part, nothing but leaves. But, what about in Christians today? What about in those of us who claim to be Christians today? We must make sure that the Lord finds something other than just leaves. As Christians, members of the Lord's body, We profess to speak where the Bible speaks and to be silent where the Bible is silent. 1 Peter 4.11 is an admonition upon which we base that determination because there Peter admonishes, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. Let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. We are to speak where the Bible speaks. We are to do Bible things in Bible ways. We're to call Bible things by Bible names. And we profess to do so. But, Have we studied enough to speak? Are we prepared individually to be able to speak? Are we prepared? Are we ready always to give an answer to everyone who asks a reason of the hope that is in us? And yet, with meekness and fear. We've mentioned before that there was a time when people used to illustrate the knowledge that members of the Lord's body had in this way. They would say, if you were in a court of law and you couldn't find a Bible, just find a member of the Church of Christ and let the witness put his hand on that member's head because that was so filled with Bible knowledge. We need to make sure that that's still characteristic of us. We profess to speak where the Bible speaks. Have we studied enough to speak? Give diligence, Paul writes to Timothy. Or study, as the King James says, to show yourselves or present yourselves approved unto God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 
We profess to speak where the Bible speaks, but if we do not know what the Bible teaches, then are we not characterized as nothing but leaves? We must make sure that we are not in that category. We profess to worship God in spirit and in truth. John 4, 24, God is spirit. And those who worship must worship in spirit and truth. Is it possible to go to worship? Is it possible to come to worship and not to worship? Oh, of course. You can come to a place of worship. You can sit down for a certain length of time and go out and never have worshipped God. If we mistake formality or ritual for worship. We might be and should be very strict to observe the Lord's Supper, but we could do it ritualistically. And if we participate ritualistically without our hearts and minds engaged, then we don't observe it worthily. That's what 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 29, really is saying. We get a description of what it means to observe the Lord's Supper unworthily, do we not? Listen to it. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself. Listen to this key phrase, not discerning the Lord's body not discerning the Lord's body. When we come to partake of the Lord's Supper, we're to discern the Lord's body. And so if our mind is a thousand miles away while we're ritualistically observing the elements of the Lord's Supper, then indeed, indeed, our worship would be vain. Some contend that we should lay by in store as God has prospered us on the first day of the week. But that's the key, as God has prospered. And as we are regularly reminded, we are to give cheerfully, not grudgingly, not of necessity. God loves a cheerful giver. So I could certainly give something and still be guilty of not fulfilling my responsibility to the Lord, couldn't I? In several ways, I could fail to fulfill that responsibility. Some affirm that we should praise God in song without the use of mechanical instruments of music. I'm one of those, and I hope you are, because there's no authority for anything else but to praise God in song without the use of mechanical instruments of music. Ephesians 5, 19, Colossians 3, 16, and verse 17 of Colossians 3, after admonishing that we sing... Nothing more, nothing less. It says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of, by the Lord's authority, in the name of Jesus Christ. We have no authority for anything else. But, while I may affirm that, if I come into the assembly and I never open my mouth to sing, am I worshiping God in spirit and truth? I may not be a great singer, don't have to be, but I am to sing. 
Some commend the preaching, but do not profit by putting it into practice. We talked about that a little bit in Bible class this morning. That indeed, when a preacher preaches his heart out about certain things that need to be changed within certain members of the congregation, and yet one never sees any change for the better, that's not uplifting. But as we pointed out, it should not only not be uplifting to the preacher, but it should not be uplifting to any concerned member of the body of Christ. All of us should be concerned about those who are not putting into practice what is being taught in class or what is being preached from the pulpit. And so we understand that we can be present but not participating in worship. And that profession without practice equates to being nothing but leaves. And then finally we look at what Jesus did and what he will do. To the fig tree, he cursed it and it withered, bore no fruit forever thereafter. To the Jewish nation, what did he do? He scattered them. You go back to 1 Kings chapter 9, and this is after God appears to Solomon The temple has been dedicated, Solomon's glorious temple, in chapter 8. And in chapter 9, verses 6 through 9, here's the statement that God makes to Solomon. But if you or your sons at all turn from following me, And do not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them. Then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them, and this house which I have consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight. Israel will be a proverb and a byword among all peoples, and as for this house which is exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and will hiss and say, Why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? Then they will answer, because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and have embraced other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore the Lord has brought all this calamity on them. The very thing that God said he would do if they rebelled against him, tragically, he did, because they did rebel. They did worship other gods. And so he took them from the land and he destroyed the temple and he scattered them. I've heard it said that there are more Jews today in New York City than in Israel. Israel has never been a nation. I know what happened in 1948, but that did not make Israel a nation as they once were. 
because God said they never would be again. Did that mean that God excluded the Israelites from salvation? No. He scattered the nation, but he gave them salvation through Jesus Christ who came to them and ultimately in the bringing in of the Gentiles, as the Apostle Paul so beautifully points out in the Roman epistle, thus all Israel shall be saved. Not saying that all of Israel is one day going to be saved, as some some have misinterpreted that passage. He's saying in this manner Israel will be saved. Not by clinging to Judaism, which has been done away Not by clinging to the law of Moses which has been nailed to the cross, but in this way Israel will be saved by obeying the gospel of Christ, just as the Gentiles, just as all men would. God scattered his people because of their rebellion. But he didn't forget them. He gave them an opportunity to be saved along with all mankind by becoming Christians. And so in What Jesus did and will do, we see it in reference to the Christians back in our passage from John 15, 1 through 6. And there it is clear that to the faithful child of God and to the unfaithful, there are two very different things that will occur. Abide in me, verse 4, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. What about one who does not abide in me? Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, just like the fig tree. And they gather them and throw them into the fire. And they are burned. Profession without practice makes us Pharisees, hypocrites, nothing but leaves. And so as we close, we ask, what about your life? What about my life? Will we, because we are a fruitful tree, and I love this image because to me it depicts a fruitful tree and a firm foundation. We have to be fruitful trees, but we have to make sure that fruit is being born as a result of being on that solid rock, a different figure, but I love the imagery that brings those two together here. A fruitful tree, a firm foundation. If we have that, then we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, Enter into the joy of your Lord. On the other hand, if we are nothing but leaves and cast out, withered, and cast into the fire, it will be, depart from me, you cursed, just as was the fig tree, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Where are you this morning? What about your life? A fruitful tree? A firm foundation? Or nothing but leaves?
we can know where we are, thanks be to God, because we have the standard by which we can examine ourselves to see whether we are in the faith. You're not in the faith this morning if you have not expressed your faith, your belief in Jesus as the Christ, by repenting of your sins, confessing him to be the Christ, and by being buried with him in baptism for the remission of sins. Unless you believe that I am he, Jesus said, you will die in your sins. You will die in your sins, in sin, unless you believe. But the same Lord said, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And so it can't be faith alone, as we have so often said. It must be a faith that leads us to repent, to change our mind about where we are to determine to be more than nothing but leaves, but to be a fruitful tree. But to become that fruitful tree, I must move forward after repenting to sweeten my lips with the confession that I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Whoever confesses me before men, him will I confess before the Father in heaven, Jesus said in Matthew ten thirty-two. And the Lord also then said, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Mark 16, 16. That baptism is a burial as clearly depicted in Scripture. It is also depicted as the burial in which the blood of Jesus Christ, the only substance that can cleanse you from your sins and make you a fruitful tree, that's where that blood is applied. In baptism. Not before, but in baptism. In the likeness of his death, burial, and resurrection, in the death in which his blood was shed, in the likeness of that death where the blood is applied, we can rise therefrom to walk in newness of life on a firm foundation as a fruitful tree. But the key is, once we've done that, we're not going to automatically keep bearing fruit unless we apply ourselves to those things that will continue to produce that fruit. And this morning, those who need to come home to that firm foundation that you once stood on, Christ, and become again what you once were, that fruitful tree, faithful to God and Christ, we plead with you to come home by repenting, by confessing the sin, simply saying, I have sinned, I have sinned in a way that others know it, I brought reproach upon the body of Christ, pray with me and for me. And we will eagerly, gladly to a God who is perfectly eager and perfectly glad to welcome you home and to forgive you of every sin. Will you come as we stand to sing to encourage you?